Welcome to Critics Not Cynics, the podcast that tries to prove that you can be a critic without being a cynic. And welcome to this very special surprise episode of the podcast, because I decided, uh, you know, this week is my birthday, and I wanted to kind of just release a birthday episode. Um, It's going to be a little bit shorter, I'm going to keep it pretty brief, but my birthday is this Friday, and this podcast is going to release on Friday, uh, as I'm recording it here on Wednesday the 10th, but I figure... I wanted to celebrate my birthday with with the listeners and uh, just you know have a fun, short little brief uh, episode here during this little kind of hiatus period. So I'm going to go ahead and talk about that since I didn't get that kind of brief episode up when I wanted to. Um, so as most of you who listen to the show know, I, I work a full time job, and I uh, and during this time of the year, it's really hard to actually sit down and record episodes because it's our peak season so we're really busy and uh so it's kind of really hard to have any type of free time to just sit down and record a podcast um so once we get past the rest of the month of july it'll be back to kind of a regular schedule with some days off here and there but more on a regular week-to-week upload uh of review episodes and so um I haven't had a chance to quite fully announce that. I did a little uh, tweet on Twitter uh, to you know let you guys know that that's what was going on. That you know the show wasn't going away or anything like that. Um, but you know, as I got to thinking about it, I was like, you know, I really want to do an episode for for my birthday. And um, so I'm gonna just talk about two movies that I've seen uh, since I announced the hiatus. And there was a, a YouTube short that I was supposed to uh, review which I had forgotten about, and right now it's escaping uh, my mind, so I'm going to bring it up on the podcast uh, back um, from the hiatus break, and um, once I get that down, I remember what it was about, and it was really interesting, it was a little freaky, uh, and um, it definitely makes you not want to do drugs, or at least heroin, uh, because it's kind of what it deals with, but uh, I'm going to make sure that I give that the due diligence instead of just kind of you know, just rushing through what that video was about. I want to make sure I give the creator the proper shout out and everything. Um, so like I said, it's going to be brief. I'm just going to talk about two movies. I'm going to talk about Midsummer and Spider-Man Far From Home. Um, so I'm going to talk about Midsummer first, and I'm just going to keep it very brief. And you know, I say that a lot, but this really is going to be a brief episode. Um, so Midsummer is Ari Aster's follow-up to Hereditary. And Many of you that follow me on Twitter might know that I was not the biggest fan of Hereditary. I watched it, I thought it was too long, I thought it was boring, it wasn't nearly as shocking as everyone made it out to be. I found one scene particularly shocking, I thought the ending was awful. Uh, The performances were strong, the cinematography was strong, the score was strong, but it was very poorly written in my opinion. and it didn't go in the direction that I think it should have gone but granted I'm not you know a filmmaker so I really don't have a whole lot to say on that but it it just it didn't please me it didn't shock me it just it was too long it was boring Um, and I just think that there was a way to kind of subvert expectations by going in a different direction than what they did and that's about as far as I can say without going into spoilers for Hereditary if you have not seen it. Um, and Midsummer kind of 
does what I wanted Hereditary to do in that aspect. So if you're not familiar with what Midsummer is about, it's about a group of uh, college kids, uh, well, more adults, because uh, a couple of them are working on their doctorate uh, theses. And um, they go to, um, oh, where is it? It's uh, Stockholm. So I'm, if I've got my geography right, that's Sweden. Uh, and they go to kind of this isolated community that celebrates this, uh, you know, summer solstice, and they do a special celebration every 90 years. And as the day, they're there for nine days, and as each day progresses, things get particularly more concerning and, and horrifying and uh, strange. And so the film opens up very strong. You get a very strong performance from Florence Pugh, if I'm saying her last name right. Uh, throughout the whole movie. Um, the only thing that I didn't really care for in the beginning of the film was the, in my opinion, overacting, but I don't think it was the overacting on her part. It was just overacting that was requested by uh, the director of her um, crying a lot. It just seemed very too much. It was, a, it was just oh, 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 over much, you know? It's just like, I... I I got it, but like it just went on too long, and it was a little too exaggerated. But um, it really sets up what the rest of the movie and uh, Danny Florence Pugh's character is dealing with while they're on this trip. And you get very strong performances from Jack Rayner, from uh, like I said, Florence Pugh. Will Poulter is fantastic, um, and I can't, I can't remember the, the actor's name, but he plays Cheaty on The Good Place. Uh, I particularly liked his performance, and this is also something that really helped me like this movie more than Hereditary was I could empathize more with the characters. They weren't all complete shits. Like, they had characteristics about them that were, were not great, but you could like them for certain aspects of, of their characters and the one you could identify the most with is Danny and so I couldn't really identify with any characters like I couldn't sympathize the only character I sympathized with in Hereditary was really the husband but even he was not necessarily a great person either because he was always kind of absent like he thought he was doing his wife uh, a favor by just letting her you know grieve but really he needed to be there more for her he needed to be more active in, in that relationship and so um you know and one of the really strong things especially with midsummer and and hereditary did this well too is, is practical effects there are some really graphic scenes uh early on in the film and they're very well done like it was a little bit too much but like not in a bad way it was like because it just makes you more uncomfortable when you're watching it over and over again so um i have kind of a theory and i've kind of seen this played out a little bit on on twitter if you were a fan of hereditary you weren't necessarily going to like midsummer as much and if you're a fan of midsummer you probably didn't like hereditary and of course there are people who kind of break that divide as well because a lot of people didn't find midsummer as horrifying and i mean in in neither Hereditary nor Midsummer are especially horrifying. It's more about the themes that they deal with. And um, both, so the theme of like Hereditary is mainly grief, but then it went in a weird direction. Whereas Midsummer's, you know, kind of dealing with grief, but dealing also with 
relationships and the the struggles one can find themselves in in, in a relationship and um, and so it, it just it, it deals with a different subject matter and some people might be more drawn to it and others not so much and I was more drawn to this and I was actually dreading going to see this movie but I knew I wanted to talk about it on the podcast I did want to give him a second shot um, I figured if I didn't like this movie he was going to be done for me as a filmmaker it was just going to be a, a, a filmmaker whose style I just didn't like and um, you know that's fine everyone kind of has those filmmakers that just don't work for them doesn't mean that they're a bad filmmaker it's just their style their technique the way they go about things just doesn't work for that person and so right now he's kind of got a 50 50 track mark with me uh, of the two movies he's made hereditary was not a huge fan of i believe i gave it on twitter before the podcast a 2.5 out of 5 uh midsummer i'm going to be a little bit more gracious on it's going to be a uh a, well, a little bit more gracious because i liked it more uh it's going to get a 3.5 and um part of the problems again that this has that hereditary had is it's way too long and i was reading the uh the fangoria um interview with jordan peele and ari aster um recently and you know one of the things that he talked about in there was his original cut of the movie is like over three hours and i that movie is two hours and 20 minutes midsummer i believe hereditary is around the same length and that's it's, it's too long it, it, there are i don't know what i would cut out of it but I feel like it could be trimmed down to possibly two hours, maybe even under two hours. And because it does really feel like you're in the theater a long, long time, like longer than two hours. And it's not that it's not good, but it's just like you're you're sitting. And this is coming from a guy who sat through uh, Endgame four times and three hours that did not feel like. So... It, it for some people i think they said that the the beginning of the movie worked for them but then the latter half of the movie didn't work for them i think for me it was more the latter half of the movie actually working especially once they get to uh the village um it it works a lot more uh the beginning sets up really strong but then it kind of goes through like a little lag period of everything leading up to them getting to the village and it just seems like maybe some of that could have been trimmed down just a tad bit um but really everyone shines in this movie everyone has really good moments a lot of the horror i've seen this said about it as well happens off screen and like a lot of that happens with with the halloween remake and um for me it worked for the most part uh i didn't have any issues with with the the kills or anything like that um there's a there's some scenes in there that just I felt like they lingered on too much and you'll know what I'm talking about if you've seen the movie um, I felt like okay you showed us what's going on here leave that to interpretation but instead it gets it's, it's very graphic and um, I know had I been had have I been dating anyone and they were in the movie with me I would have felt a little uncomfortable being in there with them um, just because it's, it's, I don't want to go with pornographic, but it's, it's very close and it's just like, okay, I get it. We could have just spent a minute on this scene and instead we're revisiting it every three minutes in between intermixed with another scene and we're getting it 
all in its glory and certainly afterwards too um so i think that that could have been kind of trimmed down a little bit uh it wasn't as necessary like they they could have left that more to the imagination than than what they did um but other than that like i said the the writing's more solid on this it's still lacking a little substance in the sense of just like knowing what exactly is going on there i mean if you're paying attention closely enough to symbols and and stuff on the screen that's not being talked about you'll understand it i mean i i was able to pick up on those things uh especially when you get to the end and um i just feel like sometimes you know i know showing is a little bit more better than telling but sometimes you need to be told things more than you need to be shown things and i think he needs to strike that balance a little bit more but if he's writing more on on themes like this or keeping it more grounded in realism uh i think he can do uh stronger films this was much stronger than hereditary for me and i know people would disagree with me on, on that um, I know I got some flack for not liking Hereditary, but I'm sorry. I'll, I'll give it another watch um, at some point, but it just didn't do it for me. I mean, every the praise it got, I, I just didn't understand it. I, I just didn't feel it, and um, and there's nothing wrong for people who who liked it either. And there's nothing for people, you know, nothing wrong for people who didn't like this one. Uh, I just think that's kind of going to be the type of filmmaker Ari Aster is, is that he's going to be kind of a, you like him or you don't, and, um, or you might like one project, but you might not like another one of his projects. So, uh, like I said, I'm going to land on a 3.5 out of this one. Uh, I might do uh, kind of a more in-depth, uh, you know, discussion about it, probably when it comes out on home video and I can sit down and kind of watch it and you know pause certain moments and kind of really mull over kind of what I think he's trying to do and, and once I read more the rest of the uh, the Fangoria article um, it was really interesting uh, read and it's, it's just long so I just didn't have time to read all of it in one sitting but um, I'm definitely gonna you know want to do a big kind of thematic discussion and maybe uh see if i can get panel on if i can get crystal from the horror nights in podcast because i don't think she's seen it yet but after she sees it and uh maybe get another person on there see you know what we all think of it and we can talk more spoilers and more themes and more kind of what we thought the movie was really talking about so that's going to do it for the midsummer review and now we're going to move into uh the end of phase three for the marvel cinematic universe uh, Spider-Man Far From Home and if you've not seen Endgame I'm sorry there's going to be kind of mild mild spoilers if it hasn't already been spoiled for you yet about the fate of a particular character um, and I probably will talk a little bit spoilers at the end of this review just because they're the things that I think that really make me excited for what may come in phase four of the Marvel Cinematic Universe um, and uh, then we'll wrap it up here so far from home it literally takes place like right after endgame i'd say probably a couple months after endgame is is done and you have you know peter back and the one thing that i needed them to address because i was kind of like well if they don't address this in, in far from home 
I'm going to have issues. And that was, was Peter's whole class, you know, snapped and dusted and brought back when they reversed it in Endgame? And yes, you know, they, they do, like, within the first five minutes of the movie, they address that most of the class, um, basically all your main characters, all your kind of side characters that were in the first movie were all snapped and then they were all brought back. Um, and then they even do have like one kid who was like uh, 12 when the snap happened and now he's 17 and you know, he's part of their class. So uh, that was very strong. Um, and they really do well with Mysterio and um, kind of the elementals. Like one thing I did really like uh, about that so you have Peter going on a, a class trip. Uh, it's basically a science class trip, but it kind of felt like it was more, even though not all the characters were there, but it kind of felt more like it was the debate team class um, from the first movie in there. But uh, the uh, kind of premises now, the elementals from, from our Earth are now... Uh, going to cause the destruction of Earth and Mysterio is from another Earth and he has somehow fallen into our world and is trying to prevent the elementals from uh, destroying the world and one like little fun thing because from the trailer and like I was kind of excited for it and I know a lot of other people were excited for it and then of course it didn't turn out to be that way but we all thought the water guy was going to be Hydra Man and they even kind of throw like a little Hydra Man uh, Easter egg in there where they kind of talk about the origin of Hydra Man and then they're like no that's not it that's silly who you know how would that ever happen um, so you know fingers crossed we might get a Hydra Man you know in villain someday but it was still really cool it was really clever um, and one thing that they um, they do really strong is is Peter kind of coming into terms of being an actual full-fledged hero you know he didn't feel like he is a hero and that he just really wants to be a kid but doesn't know how to you know he wants to focus more on the neighborhood stuff because that's the easy stuff and he doesn't know how to be like a global hero and you know kind of Mysterio Quentin Beck kind of steps in as a as a Tony Stark figure and and this is really kind of the the focal point of Peter's struggle through this movie is dealing with Tony's sacrifice and not having Tony around anymore to be a guide like it's it's like you know going through life with your your dad and then your dad's gone and now you don't know what to do anymore like you only knew what to do because your dad was there and was able to help guide you uh to do the things that you needed to do or be able to tell you what you needed to do and now he doesn't have that figure there and um it's it's really strong on that on those themes and um it has some really great moments like huge moments that just feel like they're straight out of the comic book and I, I loved every second of it it was the whole movie was pretty strong for me I mean I don't think I had any issues with anything in, in reality I mean um, there are just some really cool moments uh, really great special effects Jake Gyllenhaal is fantastic as Mysterio um, they're 
their third act reveal is really great um although it's more of a second act reveal and then the third act is just dealing with the um consequences of peter's actions but um overall it you know it really has me excited for future spider-man movies and hopefully uh you know the rest of the mcu will be fine uh, hopefully we'll hear an announcement um during comic-con uh next week uh i believe that they're back i think dc is the only one that's not coming back to like hall h and uh presenting stuff i think marvel is going to present their their phase four lineup and um you know i still have concerns about captain marvel i still need to do my rewatch of captain marvel and i i hope they learn their lessons from that movie and that they they know what they need to do to kind of not fall into that trap again um but uh you know i'm 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 very optimistic because of this movie and so uh i've seen a lot of comparisons saying people saying that this is better than spider-man 2 i've seen people saying this is the worst spider-man i i I enjoyed it it did things that i needed it to do and it was a spider-man movie and it was fun uh you know it's it's doesn't take itself too seriously it has you know quippy spider-man it has spider-man as a teenager which they have not been able to do perfect yet and um i i think everyone worked well together i've liked the relationship that they've you know kind of set for uh zendaya's mj uh and and peter and and just it's it's got some good stuff it's got great humor um it is missing the Stanley cameo because, you know, unfortunately he had passed before, you know, they were able to get a cameo recorded for him. But I had seen something in, on uh, Facebook, and this would have been a great, great one for them to do. Because um, at the beginning, they kind of show a very, like, in, memori- in memoriam of everyone who, you know, has passed from the blip and everything. And, uh, and they someone had said like well it would have been great if they had like thrown in stan's picture as like the janitor or something saying like we lost our janitor stan you know it would have been a way for them to be able to still have stan in the movie without having him physically in the movie but you know hindsight's 2020 uh yeah i felt like it was missing a little bit because it didn't have that but i still think um it was still a very strong marvel movie it's 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 probably one of my favorite spider-man movies i think spider-man 2 still uh, takes the cake on that uh and i've heard the rumors that you know they do kevin feige has kind of said hey we're we're open to doing a crossover with venom and i kind of have a theory about how they can set that up um but we'll have to wait to get to the spoiler section to hear how i think that they could go about doing this so uh for excuse me a score for uh spider-man far from home i think i'm gonna land on uh, a 4.5 i think it, it it's it's that good it's that strong for me it's it, i know for a lot of people it didn't work but for me it did uh it it told some really great it told a great spider-man story uh, in my opinion um so all right if you're not gonna stick around well thank you for joining me on this very short and brief uh episode of the podcast and for my birthday um you know thank you i appreciate it uh and we'll see you in august i believe i think i might be able to record one in the first week of august um and then in september i am 
taking a full week off, so maybe I'll record some super episodes for the podcast uh, during that week of September that I'm off. I'm off for a total of 10 days, and it's going to be glorious. All right, so we'll see you in August, and if you're sticking around for spoilers, here we go. All right, so, you know, big spoiler is that, and this is what I had thought from the beginning and kind of speculated with a coworker. Mysterio is not from the multiverse, but he is the cause of everything. He is trying to make everyone think he is a hero because he's trying to get back at Tony Stark. And so he's kind of like trying to be the anti-Tony and kind of corrupting Tony's legacy. And by doing so, you know, gets control of the these drones to be able to help portray his illusions. And that's what's so fantastic. I love the illusion scenes. It was so great. It, it, it felt like it was straight from the comic books. So it was very strong for me and I really enjoyed it. And then it led to what I think is possibly one of the best mid credit scenes for a Marvel movie in a long time. One, so you have uh, Mysterio manage to kind of doctor footage before he dies and have uh, Peter and Spider-Man look like the villain and also reveal his identity. And uh, and so now you got Peter in the middle of New York in suit going, oh crap. And then we get the one of the best cameos ever. Uh, J.K. Simmons returning as J. Jonah Jameson. I mean, when he popped up on the screen, I about lost my mind. I was so excited. The only thing I was missing was the flat top, but oh well. He's got the voice. He's doing his screaming and ranting. That man is J. Jonah Jameson. And I was so ecstatic and so thrilled to see him kind of brought back. And who knows, maybe they can have him in a bigger role in um, the next Spider-Man movie. I would love it because now they finally have said the Daily Bugle's name. Uh, so we know the Daily Bugle's around. And uh, I think it's really cool. Another interesting aspect in the after credits scene is that uh, I think that they're setting up S.W.O.R.D. And so if you're not familiar with what S.W.O.R.D. is, S.W.O.R.D. is kind of the space component to S.H.I.E.L.D. And it monitors all extraterrestrial threats. So you have Talos from Captain Marvel pretending to be Nick Fury. Now the question is, how long has he been a scroll? Um, some people are theorizing that as far back as Age of Ultron because of something about how he eats uh, grilled cheese and um, so I don't know I don't want to say it's that far because I mean I think when we get to um, to the end of Infinity War that is Nick Fury so I think it's post funeral of Tony that it that it's when he's like I need a damn vacation and so and he's helping oversee the kind of start of sword so if that's the case that's going to be great because that's going to set up possibly more cosmic uh threats and who knows what we might get from that you know now that they've got fantastic four maybe we can see an actual galactus uh coming or you know maybe a nihilist because it sounds like that might be a, a a project that they're working on uh so I'm very excited for that. Now, it's my theory for how that they can cross over Venom into this, because I've kind of made this 
uh, statement to friends that like so Venom is a very self-contained movie whether you liked it or you didn't like it it doesn't address but it doesn't say it isn't um, the greater world of the MCU it's in San Francisco and so I don't know like it's possible that they might have it that you know Spider-Man just came on the scene after Venom or at the same time as Venom just so that Venom's not aware of who Spider-Man is or what Spider-Man is. And then you have Venom 2 deal with Carnage because they've got that set up perfectly. And then you make the mid-credits for Venom 2 being this the reveal that, you know, Spider-Man is Peter Parker, Spider-Man is a villain, and you have Venom going to New York to uh, go after Spider-Man. And then you can introduce the white spider symbol because i think that's the one thing that's really missing from the venom movie uh you know venom looks great except that it feels like it's lacking that symbol that it it, it other than the face there's nothing that is very distinguishable about his characteristics uh, he's just a big giant black blob essentially with a face so i i feel like that's the way you can go about it and go about it cleverly and you have them by the end of that movie kind of teaming up to prove peter's innocence and you still then have him still kind of being like a little bit more of a vicious lethal protector and spider-man being like hey no we don't bite people's heads off or anything like that um i don't know i i feel like that's something that they could do with it uh you know i i think that's a very interesting way and i hope sony kind of takes the bait says fine We'll let you do this because I think Sony was the reason why we didn't have him included in the MCU. I think that like Feige was waiting to announce it, and then Amy Pascal said it in an interview. So Feige, who I think is very much in control of his power, wants only all of this in his own power, kind of as a retaliatory thing, said, "No, he's not a part of the MCU." And now that the kind of the bad bloods, you know, out of the way. Venom still made a crap ton of money in China that it was successful. Uh, he might be more amenable to it. Uh, and, I, hey, I just want to see it because I liked this version of Venom. The movie itself, I think it, it, it needed a, better, a little bit better story. But I liked Tom Hardy as Eddie Brock, and I liked the portrayal of Venom. Uh, but on its story side, it was just a little weak. And so I think, like, you introduce Carnage, you have a great sequel with Carnage. Um, you can even go full R with Carnage. I think they should go full R with Carnage. And then you can tone it down for for uh, a Venom Spider-Man crossover movie. Because, I mean, if you're going to introduce Deadpool into the MCU, you're going to have to kind of tone him down a little bit if he's doing any type of crossover film. If he's doing his own film, you can stick with the R rating. But if you're putting him in with a character like Spider-Man or a character like Captain America, you're going to have to kind of tone him down a little bit. But that's my grand idea. That's my grand theory. We'll see if it plays out. We, I don't know. I, I've seen that uh, the director of Far From Home wants Craven to be in the next Spider-Man movie. I think that's perfect for what they've set up because you can have Craven being kind of a bounty hunter, wanting to go after Peter to get money and to bring him to justice. And um, I just, I'm excited for it. I'm excited for the future of Phase 4 if they stick with this route. 
if they kind of fall into the Captain Marvel trap, we're going to have issues. But um, I'm optimistic, and I can't wait to see when they announce what the next slate of movies are. I'm already kind of just itching and waiting to see a trailer for a new movie. So, all right, guys, that's going to do it for this special brief episode of the podcast. Thank you for joining me, and, uh, you know, feel free to wish me a happy birthday if you want on Twitter at CriticsNTCynics. And uh, for any screeners or anything you guys want covered on the podcast, I do have a couple things. I, I, since this was a shorter episode, I, was, I, and I haven't gotten watched yet, I was going to mention but I'm going to save that for the return episode. Um, you know, you can always send me an email at criticsnotcynics at gmail.com. And I will see you guys in August. All right. Bye.